I've been called that before. It was over in Allison while we still were worshiping at that church that Justin Westbrooks was there one morning and I was supposed to be speaking and someone got up and made the announcement that Justin was speaking and I was like, oh, well, you know, I, I'll just sit down here and then I'm sitting down because here, here it is time for the preacher to get up there and preach and I'm sitting there because Justin's supposed to be preaching. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I eventually got up and did what I was supposed to do. That being said, it's good to see you all tonight. And uh, I hope you're all as nervous as I am about this lesson. Um, there's really a lot to dig into, if you will, because there's there's prophecies that we could go on. There's, there's uh, the torture that Jesus, the that he went through. There's all these different various aspects of what Jesus is going through. As we saw last week in John 18 with Ian preaching and how they came in the Garden of Gethsemane, they got Jesus, now they've led him away. And it almost becomes like this hot potato that's starting to happen because Jesus was led away to be put on trial at this time and they take him before Annas and then to Caiaphas and then to Pilate uh, in John's account but if you look in Matthew Mark and Luke you see that he was taken to the Sanhedrin and he was taken uh, also to Pilate and then to Herod and then back to Pilate so you have this and I tried if you would to understand why it is that they're taking Jesus from this one to that one to the other one and one of the things that kept going through my mind is that they were just parading Jesus around almost to the point of like you know how we've always gone after Jesus and we've never been able to capture him and now we have him look everybody we've caught him and now, the, and even Herod, Herod had always wanted to see Jesus and to see some miracle performed by him, but Jesus wouldn't do it. That's not recorded here in John, but again, it was something that people wanted to see. And to Jesus's followers, it was, hey, I, we got him. But you know, the Jewish leaders had already decided before the trial even began that he was guilty. It didn't matter what he, they were going to charge him of. He's guilty of it because they wanted him out of the way. And there's a reason why they wanted him out of the way. They wanted him out of the way because they weren't serving God. They were serving the ruler of this world. And we'll see that in a little bit. And that's why Peter on the day of Pentecost could stand up and say, You have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. And they couldn't deny it. They knew exactly what Peter was talking about. They knew what they had just done. Maybe for just a brief moment, that veil was finally taken off of their eyes and they could finally see that indeed they had the Son of God with them, amongst them, and they killed him. They were blinded to that fact the whole time. It pricked them in their hearts. They didn't know what to do. But before we got to that point, we got to this. It says in John 19, verse number 1, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. <laughs> I think that's the only word I've underlined in this whole thing. It's really hard to do that from a phone. So I was like, no more of that. 
Um, but the whole idea of scourge, you know, if it was just to discourage someone from doing what they were doing and say, don't do that again because the punishment is so severe for it. Don't go out there, you know, maybe Pilate and his scourging of Jesus thought that he would appeal to the compassion of the crowd. Let's let him go. Look at what I've done to him. He's not going to go out and cause any more trouble. Let's let him go. I found no fault in him. You know, back in Allison, Ian had made this whip, this cat of nine tails, out of this leather that he was winding all together. It was really an effective prop. I think, you know, I, I should have borrowed it for this, you know. But just for grins and giggles, me and Ian decided that we would whip ourselves on the back. You know, he'd say, hit me with it, and I'd be like, all right, now hit me with it, you know. And that wasn't even a tenth of what Jesus went through. Because Ian didn't really lay into me, and I didn't really lay into him. And plus, we didn't have all the bones intertwined into it and everything. But imagine what Jesus is going through here. It says, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and they said hail king of the jews now they did this and they struck him with their hands can you hear the condescending tone that they're yelling at jesus at this moment was it any wonder that jesus while he was in the garden prayed father if there be any other way let this cup pass from me it's because he knew what he was about to go through he understood the torture, the torment that he was going to have to face as they beat on him, as they belittled him. Several years ago, I did a series of studies over Satan and how Satan works, who he is, how he works, and how we overcome him. I want you to know that Satan works through people around us a lot of time to get you to stumble, to get you to falter and to fall, to get you to just finally lash back out at somebody that's doing wrong to you. I can see Satan on those pages in this. Hail, King of the Jews, as they're slapping him, as they're placing that crown of thorns, as they're whipping him with that scourge. The Bible says, Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. I want you to know I've failed several times in this. I've gotten a lot better. I can keep my cool, but you push my buttons enough, and man, right? But Jesus didn't. Isn't that the story of all of us? You know why? Because our pride. I, I would say it's probably pride. It's pride that causes us to, when we're reviled, we revile back. When someone says something to us that we just don't agree with, we have to correct them. Jesus didn't have to. Pilate then went out again and he said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to him, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. What was Pilate to do? I mean, his idea of, hey, let's take Jesus, let's beat him up real good, 
and let's bring him out before the crowd and surely they'll let him go because he's not guilty of trying to overthrow Caesar. He's not guilty of breaking any Roman law. I find no fault in him. It didn't work. They were just so tormented by the thought of Jesus being king of the Jews that they yelled crucify him instead. Maybe Pilate fell victim to the whole idea of mob mentality. He wasn't brave enough to stand against the crowd. It says, the Jews answered him, we have a law according to our law. He ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid and went again to the praetorium. I can't say it. Y'all got it. And said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. You see, they, they appealed to Pilate to take this guy because he was a threat to Caesar. And once they found no fault in him, once Pilate found no fault in him, then they said, well, he broke our law because he, he's blaspheming God. Then Pilate said to him, you are not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you or to release you? And Jesus said, you could have no power at all against me unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. I always thought that was such a powerful statement. Because there Jesus is, he's remaining silent. And now Pilate says, hey, I have power over you, buddy. You better start talking. So Jesus talks. And he says, you don't have any power over me unless my father gave it to you. What could Pilate have done? Could Pilate really have freed Jesus at this point? He certainly thought that he could. But the truth, he had no power over Jesus. Because what was set in motion was already going to happen now. The beating that Jesus took for us. He took it because he was going to pay for our sins on the cross. And Pilate wasn't going to stop it. But Jesus also mentions the idea of the greater sin. This was the sin that was committed against God by those who delivered Jesus to be crucified. I struggled with that for a little while, trying to figure out exactly because there's this idea of a greater sin. What was he talking about? Is there a greater punishment for the sin? Well, we won't dig into that because, you know, Dante's Inferno and everything. We won't go into the different layers of what certain people think there. But um, it's an interesting concept, really. The greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Now ironically here, the Jews cried out to Pilate, Hey, if you release this man, you're not a friend of Caesar. You know who Caesar represents here? Caesar represents the world. They wanted to be friends of the world. You're not going to be a friend of Caesar if you let him out. The Bible told us 
and James, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Wherefore, the, whosoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And that's exactly what the scribes, what the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the rulers of the Jews, that's what they had done. They had made themselves an enemy of God because they wanted to serve Caesar rather than God. They didn't want Jesus to rule over them. They had no room in their heart for him. Verse number 15, it says, But they cried out, says, Away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Then the chief priest answered and said, We have no king but Caesar. You see, they had no room for Jesus in their heart, in their mind. They didn't want to lose the power that they had. They didn't want someone to rule over them. They wanted to be a friend of the world, serve the things of the world, serve the power that this world gives you. Much like when Jesus was brought up upon that great mountaintop and he looked down upon all the kingdoms of the world and satan said i will give you all of these if you will just fall down and worship me that's what they did they didn't want to let that power go jesus answered and said the voice this voice did not come because of me but for your sake <clears throat> now is the judgment of this world now the ruler of this world would be cast out and if i and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Jesus telling them, the ruler of this world has this place, but I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be taken out of here. He was preparing them for what was coming. And now here we are in John chapter 19, and it's on them. It's happening. This death that he told his disciples that they weren't ready to hear. Now it's there. <clears throat> John chapter 8, 44, he said, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, for there's no truth in him. But because there's no truth in him, when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And that's what it is. When we decide to follow after the things of this world, we're not following after the things of God anymore, but rather we're following after the things of Caesar. We're making ourselves friends of the world. And that's essentially what they wanted to do here. So they delivered Jesus to be crucified. It says, then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which in the Hebrew is Golgotha, where they crucified him and the two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. They were so blinded by their hatred for Jesus, and they were so in love with their earthly possessions that they sent the king of kings to his death. That was what we go about every Sunday talking about when we come around the Lord's Supper. Talking about the beating that Jesus took for us, that scourging that he took. All those insults and the slaps and the spit-ons, the belittlement, everything that he took for us. Only to have to carry that cross up that hill to be crucified. 
Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am King of the Jews. It was a Roman custom to inscript upon the criminals above their head at their execution spot who they were and what their crime was. Jesus was the king of the Jews. That was his crime, being king. Because they didn't want no one to rule over them. His only crime. Mark, in his dialogue of it, calls it the inscription of accusation they just accused him of being king and at that it was enough for him to be put to death they didn't want a messianic designation attached to jesus because really i think it's because they didn't want to acknowledge that he was really truly their king but by the time peter and the other apostles begin to preach on the day of pentecost whenever they stand up and they remind all the jews of what they had just done to Jesus and that how he has raised up from the dead and he's ascended to his father and he pointed all these things out and said, y'all can't deny this. Well, they couldn't deny it. He was their king. The prophecy was fulfilled there. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, for it, who it shall, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them, And for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. I mean, the helplessness that his followers felt, the disciples as they were there, as they watched Jesus be crucified and nothing that they could do about it because they still didn't understand fully what was going on. The pain and the agony upon which Christ felt, the humiliation that they're trying to just belittle him all the way until he's basically dead. Because in other accounts, as they crucify him, as they get him up there, they start belittling him as he's on the cross and saying, if you're really the Son of God, come down from the cross. But it was our sins that held him to the cross. But he says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. There we go. I can read this better now. It was so tiny on my screen. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Now there's been many times throughout history where you see someone who on their deathbed tells someone, Take care of take care of my children, take care of my wife, or take care of my mother. This is essentially what happened here. Jesus looked to John and said, 
This is your mother. Take care of her. And he commended his mother to John to be taken care of. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The fulfillment of Psalm 69, verse 21, that they also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. After all that Jesus had gone through, after all the pain, the torment of having to endure the cross, everything is now finished. And he cried out, I thirst. And rather than giving him water to parch his thirst, to give him just a little bit of comfort before he died, they gave him a little bit of vinegar. Therefore, because <clears throat> it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other one who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. No bone of his was broken. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done, that, not, that the scriptures should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. Forth without came blood and water. What a distinction. What a mighty distinction if you think about what saves us. It's through the water that we go through in baptism that we make contact with his blood. Jesus shed his blood upon the cross for us. People who continue to strive after the things of this world, never knowing really what Jesus went through for us, never having received that pardon from their sins because they don't have Jesus as ruler of their life yet. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, <clears throat> being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. So here they are now collecting the body of Jesus and preparing it for his burial. Maybe a bittersweet moment because there they are. You know, they've been given Jesus, but at what price did Jesus have to pay? And now they're going to take him and bury him. Not really knowing at this time that he's going to raise up again because they didn't realize that, even though he had told them. Nicodemus knew that Jesus was something special, and there he is again. 
helping to bury Jesus. Jesus paid it all on the cross, but he paid it all for you and for me. Because if it was up to Jesus, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to endure that, but he did. His love for you and for me, for the sins of the world, to pay that price. He paid it all. It says, now in this place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. That beaten and mangled body of Jesus lay lifeless there in that tomb. And there they took that stone and they sealed that tomb away, not knowing that Jesus was going to raise again that third day. But everything that Jesus went through, he went through for you and for me. He paid that cost at Calvary for us. But what do we do with that? Do we continue to walk in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Paul would say. Or do we submit to him and let him become king in our life? Not rendering unto Caesar anymore, but rather rendering unto God. Let's allow Jesus to be the king in our life tonight. If you haven't already made that decision to walk with Jesus, to let him rule in your life as your Lord and Savior, there's no better time than tonight to do that. Tomorrow's not promised, and it may be too late. We would ask if you have a need for prayers or if you need to obey the gospel, we would ask you to come at this time as we stand and sing.